Hi, I'm Rick Samprin. Today on the Bill Kelly Show podcast, teacher strikes taking place across Ontario today and this week as three separate unions ramp up their job actions against the provincial government. U.S. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial is set to unfold in the Capitol. We'll hook up with Reggie Giacchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Teacher strikes. Yes, I know. I know. They're underway again across Ontario today as three separate unions are ramping up their job actions against the provincial government. We get a rundown, a wrap-up, more so a continuation from Global's Travis Danraj. Have a listen. Issues at what is an empty table right now have not changed. The pressure tactics, however, have. Strikes from Toronto to York to Ottawa with more planned all week long. This government is completely ignoring our members and students and we need to do what we can to stand up for publicly funded education. Education unions insist fighting mandatory e-learning and larger class sizes are the main sticking points, while getting a 2% annual raise is not. Compensation certainly is and has always been a fundamental issue. I know they may not want to talk about it, but I think anyone at home would realize this is a, a common challenge that faces all governments. The, the fact that the union leaders will want to get more compensation and benefits for their workers. Here's a look at what parents should prepare for this week. Tuesday, OSSTF high school teachers and education workers will take part in their sixth rotating strike. English Catholic teachers, part of OECTA, will hold a one-day strike, affecting students in both elementary and high school. And ETFO, the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, also has rotating strikes planned for Tuesday. Wednesday through Friday, ETFO members, part of smaller boards, such as Halton and Niagara, will be taking turns on the picket line. It's historic. There's a reason we don't see this happening. It happens every maybe 20 years where you see all of the unions going out around the same time. And that gives you a sense, I think, of the, of the issues at hand. As a representative for the country, I want to see a bright future for our country. And what better way to ensure we have a bright future than to make sure we defend things like our public education. ETFO and the government have said that they want to get back to the table to hammer out a deal. But both are pointing fingers at each other as to why they aren't there. Well, there's a good explanation of what is happening and how we got to this point from Global's Travis Danraj. You heard one, um, I think, familiar voice in that report. That's federal NDP leader Judd Meek Singh, the voice just Prior to his was Merritt Stiles. We're going to catch up with uh, the NDP's education critic after the news at 930. Uh, But Travis and Global's uh, Alan Carter also discussed what could be next. Travis, so much rhetoric from both sides in this. What is it going to take to get them to come back to the table and actually negotiate? That is a good question. I would say an act of God right now, Alan. But no, seriously, I I think that there's going to need to be some give on either side here or both sides in order to get back to the table. I've been talking to Sam Hammond, who is the president of the Elementary Teachers Federation of Ontario, the union president on this. I've also been talking to Harvey Bishop, who's with the uh, high school teachers, and Stephen Lecce. And it seems, as I mentioned off the top, both sides really entrenched in their positions. The unions have not said whether or not they would 
would be willing to give up that 2% raise that they have been asking for, and the education minister says that that is the main point. However, the unions argue that they want more movement on things like class sizes, uh, full-day kindergarten, and also uh, when it comes to e-learning. So we will have to wait and see here, but right now, at least for the elementary teachers and high school teachers uh, and Catholic teachers, no negotiating dates in sight. However, a little glimmer of hope, French teachers have uh, are going to be at the table in the next coming days. All right, so there is uh, Global's Alan Carter and Travis Dan Raj. We've also heard from uh, today the president of the OSSTF, Harvey Bischoff, who spoke with Global News, and he's basically saying it's hard to be optimistic at this point. We have a government that is clearly, firmly committed to eroding the quality of education. And let's be clear, we have offered now three weeks in a row to postpone our strike action if the government will simply commit to last year's staffing levels for education workers and teachers. We'll take everything else to the bargaining table uh, if they can commit to that, to you know, quality of education as it relates to staffing that we had just last year, and they've refused that offer. All right, let's bring in our first guest today. Her name is Jessica Lyons, and she's from the Ontario Parent Action Network, and she joins us now on the Bill Kelly Show. Jessica, good morning. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Not too bad. Um, well, how frustrating is a day like this for you and your organization? Well, I mean, I think it's a combination of, of, of very frustrating because we know that, you know, um, parents across the province have been really, really clear about what they want and what they need for their kids. And, you know, we know that the negotiations have been stalling for months and months and months. And we know that teachers are on our side and we're, we're just we're getting more and more frustrated that the government isn't listening and isn't um making the necessary concessions so that we can um, all move on with getting our children what they need. With any bargaining, uh, whether it's teachers unions or steelworker or whatever the case is, there's always some give and take. Is there a little bit of frustration with the union as well to say, hey, maybe they should be giving up something as well? Well, I, I mean, I really don't think so. And honestly, and this is why. The government introduced legislation, legislatively imposed a humongous amount of concessions and cuts on our students, our kids, and their learning environment. And by and by that, I mean also the working environment of so many education workers. So that was legislatively done. That was like $1.4 billion uh, taken away from everybody and the supports that they need. <clears throat> so what the unions are fighting for, so far as I understand, and uh, is that they're fighting to stop those cuts. So I don't really see it as a matter of give and take here. As uh, parents, obviously, and students, uh, we're all caught in the middle, and that has to be probably the most angering part of this whole scenario because, uh, you know, students are out of school. Uh, when that is the case, parents have to make sure their children are taken care of, whether that's daycare or staying home from work. So there's a huge ripple effect here. There sure is a huge ripple effect, and what we've seen and been amazed by uh, stories of in the last couple of days and in the in the lead up and now as the strikes are rolling out through the province is that we've uh, been hearing so many stories about how parents are pulling together, pooling their childcare, trading kids for half the day one way, half the day that you know at the other parent's house. Um, if one has more flexible work schedule or happens to be home with a baby and such like. Um, I heard a story of some parents setting up a solidarity camp um, with some other uh, parent volunteers and and um, bringing making soups and having warming stations, opening their homes to par- to teachers. 
So we really see, you know, I think the government was hoping that this is how they erode support from parents, but I think that this is just mounting the anger at the government. Both sides have dug in their heels. How long do you expect this to continue on for? I mean, I, that, that is the million-dollar question. I don't know. We really, 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 uh, really believe strongly that the government, you know, needs to back down on this. They need to take the cuts off the table. They need to restore the funding to our education system. This is about our kids' future. This is about what is a tolerable learning environment that will actually create the opportunities that they need and the supports for them to succeed. Or, you know, a very grim future for a lot of Ontario children. And that's that's something that, you know, we're just actually not prepared to let happen. And what's so heartening is that it, it appears that um, education workers in Ontario agree. They're not going to let this happen. They're standing up. And we're so proud of them for doing that. We're chatting with uh, Jessica Lyons from the Ontario Parent Action Network here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick, in for Bill. Uh, you mentioned uh, cuts, uh, class sizes, obviously a huge issue. Uh, wages are one of the key uh, issues as well. Um, how are students coping in all this? What, what feedback are you getting from parents about their kids? Um, you know, I think that um, I've heard a lot of creative ways that uh, parents have been trying to make sure that they're open in communication to their children about what's going on. Um, many, many students and most students feel a strong attachment to their, to the uh, caring adults in their learning environment. So they're proud of their teachers. We went to visit my kid's teacher on the picket line yesterday and my kids had selected, you know, the donuts that they wanted to them to have and, you know, and my daughter heard someone say on the radio that strikes hurt kids, and she got furious. She said, that's not true. That's not true. My teachers are fighting for me. And, I mean, I think that kids get it, too. I mean, this is a – if you're trying to cut and people are fighting back, it's a really it's really clear. Uh, I'm going to ask this question of uh, Merritt Stiles from the NDP a little later on in this hour, but I'm going to ask you as well. I get the sense that the government is waiting for the unions to announce a full-fledged strike so they can just legislate them back to work. Do you get that sense? Do you get that feeling? I know that the conversation has started to include um, that consideration, and I, I mean, I think that the government has signaled even, you know, many, many months months ago that that they, uh, you know, are willing to throw their weight around. Um, I think that they might be more reticent to do that now since the, they're at an all-time low. They're the most unpopular government. Uh, and so, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's a possibility, but I think it's a terrible, terrible idea. I think that the people of Ontario um, have the right to collective bargaining. That's one of our enshrined rights. And and I think that uh, back-to-work legislation has been proven unconstitutional. And I think that, you know, this is the point. Workers come together and fight for what makes them have a safe and reasonable workplace. And they, they go beyond. They're caring about the issues. In, in the public sector, you know, nurses fight for, for, for care for their patients. Teachers fight for their students. This is what we do. And... To be taking away and ruling over and above that, 
I mean, I, I, I you know, that's going to incense and just absolutely enrage the public, I believe. Jessica, what's your message to the provincial government? Take the cuts off the table now. Settle a fair, deep, fair deal for education workers and our children right now. Stop this nonsense. Stop prolonging, um, forcing the unions to go on unnecessary strikes. Get back to the bargaining table. Stop the cuts now. Jessica, appreciate the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for talking. Take care. Jessica Lyons from the Ontario Parent Action Network giving us uh, her thoughts on the latest go-round of rotating one-day teacher strikes. In about uh, 12-15 minutes' time, we'll chat with uh, Merritt Stiles, uh, education critic with the uh, Ontario NDP, to get to her thoughts on how much longer this can go. And maybe she shares my thought as well. It's just a gut feeling that the province, Education Minister Stephen Lecce, and uh, their strategy team are saying, all right, we, we can live with these one-day strikes. We're giving money back to parents with that rebate or whatever you want to call it. And when the unions announce their full-fledged strike, we'll just leg- legislate them back to work. They're, they're essential to uh, kids' futures, to the education system, and uh, we'll just force them right back there. And we'll basically be back to square one with the addition of many hard feelings. What open up the phones as well, and you can call in right up until 10. We'll squeeze you in on your thoughts on this teacher strike. We haven't done a lot of this over the last number of weeks, but I want to hear from our listeners. Which side are you on? And I don't think there's a right answer here, and I don't think there's a wrong answer here, because I think there are good motives on each side. Hey, the government wants to save some money. That's okay. That's a good position to have the teachers unions and the teachers want some more money and they want some other things as well in the classroom not gargantuan sized class sizes which side are you on 905-645-3221 star 9900 on your cell you on the teacher's side or the teachers union side are you on the provincial government side And it's okay to be on one side or the other. I'm not going to judge. This is what talk radio is all about. We want to share opinions. I want to hear your opinion. We've heard from, uh, well, many different voices, whether it's Sam Hammond, Harvey Bischoff, Liz Stewart, Stephen Lecce, Premier Doug Ford, uh, Andrea Horvath from the NDP, Merritt Stiles. We'll hear from her in about 10 minutes' time. I want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this teacher strike? Which side are you on? How do you think it's all going to play out? 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. You can also send me an email, rick at 900chml.com, or uh, on Twitter, at Rick Samprin, or at am900chml. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900chml. Teacher strikes taking place across Ontario today as three separate unions have ramped up their job actions against the provincial government. We have the OSSTF which is the public high school teachers. We have the ETFO, which is the public elementary school teachers. And now today, we have the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association, OECTA. And their members have hit the picket lines starting today. Liz Stewart is the president of OECTA, spoke to Global News 
uh, really just minutes ago, and explains what makes this job action different from other years. I think this is the first time in over 20 years we've been faced with such regressive cuts at a table where we're, we're looking at such vast loss of programs for students, um, where we're, you know, where we're looking at our special education students not having access to the programs they need, uh, where many of the gains that we've been able to make in order to build our uh, world-class publicly funded education system, we're seeing them start to be taken away. And our, our biggest concern is it's not just for now, like it's not just for the immediacy and the future, it's for the, for the long-term future of the system. Stewart also says, and this I think is what a lot of people are saying is just get back to the bargaining table, get back to negotiations, get the, the mediator involved, let's hammer out a deal. Well, Stewart says that the union needs something from the government before it comes back to the bargaining table. In the past, though, we've sat across the table from, from governments who've had a common goal, and that common goal has been student success. That common goal has been how do we make this the best it can be for the students we serve every day. And now we sit across the table from a government whose goal is to permanently cut funds from the system and is to permanently withdraw supports. We can't be a party to that. So what we need is for the government to come back to the table with, with a different mindset, with a new mandate that says we're going to put students first. One more clip for you, and this is from OSSTF President Harvey Bischoff on the topic of private mediation. He's saying... That's not being considered at this point. The problem is not the mediator we have. The problem is the positions that the government has on the table that would eliminate thousands of education and uh, education worker and teaching positions and would force mandatory e-learning on our students. All right, those are some of the marquee voices that have been heard throughout these rotating one-day job actions. Here's another voice for you. She is the education critic for Ontario's NDP, and that's Merritt Stiles, and she joins us this morning. Good morning, Merritt. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. I'm a little chilly. I was just out on the line with some of the teachers. I understand you're on the picket lines today. Whereabouts are you? Uh, right now, I'm in front of St. Helens, which is uh, on at college near Dufferin. It's actually in my riding, and uh, there's a, a really great crowd of teachers and parents and students out uh, supporting all of them. So this is uh, part, or the, those teachers are part of OECTA. This is really their first full day of being out on the picket line. What what are they saying? What have you heard from them? Well, you know, for many of them, they've never been on a picket line before because it's the first time in over 20 years that the Catholic teachers have been out. And it's certainly, of course, we know the first time in over 20 years that we've had all of the various um, education unions uh, taking work action at the same time. So this is uh, it's pretty historic, uh, but I got to tell you, they're feeling um, they're feeling like they've got support from families, and that what they are standing up for is really important because it's the future of publicly funded education in the province. With all four unions, and yes, we're including the French language system in there as well, four major teachers unions doing this at the same time. What is it telling you? Well, it it tells me that uh, we have a government that um, that is not uh, is not managing this well. Uh, we have a government that knows what needs to be done uh, to get us out of this situation, but they don't seem to be prioritizing keeping our kids in classrooms. It is historic because, uh, again, like this is the first time it's happened in over 20 years, and and it, it tells you like what's really at stake here because it is about the quality of kids' education. It's big class sizes, 
it's imposing all kinds of like risky programs like e-learning and and it's about really the quality of education our kids get are you at all surprised that we're in this situation it doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> you know i'm i gotta say i am i am surprised that uh that the government isn't moving um to actually you know back away from some of these cuts so that we could we could have they can get back to the table and have you know good conversations and get our kids back into classrooms i mean that surprises me because you know we we often we often say that we experience you know work actions and that these things you know our, the minister likes to say it's cyclical but the truth is that you know we don't see this happen in, you know again in, in more than 20 years and it's because uh really the cuts the government's making are so deep and they're going to have such a big impact over the coming years how big of a I don't want to call it a publicity stunt. I'm, I'm speaking for both sides here, maybe primarily mm-hmm. towards the government in terms of their strategy. And I know you're not in their war room by any means. But from a uh, public perception point of view, does it make sense for either side to continue what they're doing? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I think that right now, and again, you know, I, I've heard from, I hear from lots of parents and families and, and community members across the province. And they're they're really backing uh, the education workers, uh, and I I think the government's you know the minister of education press conferences and all his spin is not really connecting with most Ontarians. Uh, I think Ontarians know what's at stake, and and frankly, you know, yeah, there's discomfort here for a lot of families of kids. My my daughter is out of school today, um, but but we're willing to put up with it in the short term because we know that in the long term. Uh, the impact on their classrooms and their learning is going to be so negative. And I think that's why people are really are really standing with the teachers. And I don't think the government gets that. And that's surprising to me. I mean, they, they must know. And if they know, then why aren't they backing away from these cuts? Our guest is NDP education critic Merritt Stiles. She's joining us here on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Rick in for Bill today. We've seen this government backtrack on the autism announcements, on uh, cuts or downloading to municipal uh, governments over the past year. Uh, and you just mentioned it. Why aren't they backtracking on this issue? This issue? What's your best guess as, as to why they are not? I think that they have a plan to make cuts, uh, and they're making those cuts uh, to our on the backs of our kids. Uh, and, you know, it's about priorities. They, they have choices they can make, and they've chosen this path, and they seem to be dead set uh, to continue in that path, and that's really unfortunate. We know that the solution is really simple. It, they just need to back away from the cuts. Nobody wants them. Ontarians aren't asking for this. Um, and then get back to the table and talk to the teachers, and our kids could be in classroom tomorrow if they made that decision. In the same sense, um, why haven't the unions launched a full-scale strike? Obviously, there, there's a strategy behind that as well. Well, I mean, I'm not at the bargaining table, but I, I, I do think that uh, what they've said is that they, they don't want to, you know, really negatively impact student learning, right? They're, they're, you know, they care about these kids. We know that as, as parents. Like, I know my, the teachers really do care that my kids are getting, uh, you know, the kind of learning they need, and, and this uh, strike, they don't want their work actions to affect the kids. So I think they are trying to minimize the impact on students and families, uh, but they also want to send a strong message to the government that, you know, this is the wrong direction to take. So uh, I think they're weighing all of those things. But, you know, again, they've been pretty clear what the government needs to do. Ontarians have been clear. They need to back away completely, and then they need to sit down at the table and talk about how we invest in education.
How do we get both sides back to the table? Because that seems to be a stumbling block now, too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The minister seems really hung up on some, you know, on some private mediation. But, you know, we know that there's been mediators in the room. Uh, everybody's uh, been talking, and, and it's pretty clear uh, that the government the government has been told very clearly what they need to do. So how do we get there? The government, again, needs to back away from the cuts, and they need to do it now. They made those cuts unilaterally without really talking to anyone. And now uh, here we are in this situation. So I think the buck stops with the government. With any negotiation, there is some give and take. If you're at the at the bargaining table, and I know you're not, uh, but you are an education critic, so you have you know a little bit of skin in the game here, what should the government be conceding? What should the unions be conceding? Well, I mean, like I said, I think the government made these these cuts kind of unilaterally. They made this decision on their own without really making having any discussion with anyone. So they need to go back to square one, you know, where we were before, which, you know, by the way, like our education system already was suffering in many ways. We have gaps. We have kids with special needs who are not getting the support that they need in the classroom. We need to change that. So uh, they need to go back to square one and sit down and have a conversation. And I think, you know, to be fair, the education unions have made pretty clear that they are willing to talk about everything, but they want the government to back away from those cuts, come to the table, and then have a conversation. If there is, if any of the unions announce a full-fledged teacher's strike, how soon do we expect to see back-to-work legislation? Well, you know, this is, uh, I can't speak for the government. I certainly hope that they would, uh, they would, we won't get to that place. Because I can tell you, I, I certainly don't want to be there. I don't think any parent does. Um, and, uh, you know, certainly they have to prove, I guess, that, you know, students learning and their, their the school year is impacted. But I, I think nobody wants to get to that place. I know unions don't want it. Teachers don't want it. Uh, education workers don't want that. I'm sure the government doesn't want to get there either. So, you know, how do we get ourselves out of this mess? They know exactly what they need to do. It's a simple solution. And uh, it's really shocking to me that that the Minister of Education and Premier Ford uh, haven't already uh, made those steps so that our kids could be in classrooms today. Ms. Stiles, uh, thanks for the time today. Stay warm out there. Thank you so much. Merritt Stiles is the education critic for the New Democratic Party here in Ontario, giving us her thoughts on these rotating teachers' strikes. What is the government saying? Well, Education Minister Stephen Lecce uh, spoke with Global News and is saying there there is still, if you can believe this, there is still hope that the labor disputes, disputes, plural, can be settled. I actually believe, I get it, you're observing this, there's a lot of rhetoric out there and finger pointing and all that, but there still is a pathway to get a deal. Uh, we do have a mediator. We stand ready at any moment to continue bargaining to provide predictability to recognize that these strikes are actually having a real impact on kids and their families, fiscally for their parents trying to find childcare with five days notice or you know weeks notice, which is difficult at the best of times in the GTA. And then the second point is, you know, just that we all have to be reasonable. Minister Lecce also saying that he needs teachers unions to do their part to get a deal. So we want to get to a deal. I want a deal. Kids deserve to be in class, but it's going to require the teachers union to do their part and the balls in their court to come back to the table with a plan or to stay at the table with a plan that's actually going to get us that predictability that kids deserve. There you have it. So you, you heard from a, a, a plethora of voices, be it Merritt Stiles, uh, Liz Stewart from OECDA, uh, Har- Harvey Bischoff from OSSTF, Education Minister Stephen Lecce. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. U.S. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial is set to unfold at the Capitol today as the Senate reconvenes with the Chief Justice presiding 
over the rare impeachment court, senators are being sworn to impartial justice, quote-unquote. The legacy of Trump's presidency and the system of checks and balances are all at stake before a politically divided nation. And that, we can say, is an absolute fact. Let's bring in our next guest. His name is Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News, and he joins us now. Good morning, Reggie. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Well, let's start with some of the basics here. How is this impeachment trial in the Senate going to work? What's going to happen? Well, today is going to be all about the rules, which were not released until last night by Senate leadership, and they are causing a kind of a kerfuffle throughout Capitol Hill right now, and it's because it appears that Republican leadership, i.e. Mitch McConnell, is really trying to push this through at an expedited rate in line with what the president is saying by cutting back the number of days that House managers will have to be able to make their case uh, compared to how this went in the 90s, and by putting votes forward in order to get things like witnesses or evidence, be it already public or new evidence, uh, onto the floor and onto the record. So this is going to be a day of back and forth debating the pros and cons of these rules, and it is likely going to lead to some fireworks from these Democratic managers who are really trying to push the case that they believe that the president abused the power of his office. And uh, I've been hearing that this uh, move by Mitch McConnell, he's uh, wanting to do this in two days, like two 12-hour days? Yeah, two 12-hour days. Uh, so after we get through these rules debates today, tomorrow those opening statements would begin, and each side is given 24 hours over two days, excluding breaks. So you have to understand, if this starts at 1 in the afternoon, uh, you know, if it goes for 12 hours, we're looking at it wrapping up at 1 in the morning, plus whatever time would be taken for breaks, for, for you know, to get some dinner, what have you. Uh, so this means that, you know, we may be hearing opening arguments post 1 a.m. D.C. time, and that's where there's a cry that Democrats are calling this a potential cover-up by saying that Republicans simply don't want this information being released to the public when the public is able to access it. So none of this is in front of the cameras and none of this is in public view? Uh, there are going to be very few cameras in there. Normally what we have are uh, individual networks who are working as a pool to provide information or C-SPAN will be in there uh, using their cameras and then networks pick up C-SPAN. Uh, the rules have been changed, so there's uh, no audio equipment allowed, no video equipment allowed, and it will just be Senate cameras that will be controlled by Senate uh, staff to be able to turn things on and off when warranted. So uh, it'll be limited to what we can see, and it will be up to the Senate to decide when we're actually going to be allowed to see things. Very interesting. We're in discussion with Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News as U.S. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial is set to unfold later on today at the U.S. Capitol. Aside from all of the procedural stuff that's happening from what we suspect over the next couple of days, who are we going to be seeing and hearing from at these hearings? Well, I mean, who we're going to be seeing and hearing from is still up for debate. The guarantees right now are going to be from the House managers, and they include, you know, uh, Representative Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff and Zoe Lofgren. And on the def on the uh, defense side for the president, it'll be people like Alan Dershowitz and people like Ken Starr and White House lawyer Pat Cipollone. And then there will be some additional Congress people that are involved in those platforms to be able to put the arguments forward. It's still unknown if we're going to hear any voices from anyone else. This is where Democrats are 
are saying that Republicans are trying to cover it up by not allowing new witnesses to come forward or by not allowing any new evidence to come forward, because essentially it would be a trial with no facts being allowed to be introduced. Democrats really want to hear from someone like John Bolton, who called the Ukraine situation a drug deal. But if Republicans get in the way of those votes and don't let that happen, uh, that's where Democrats are trying to put their foot down to say this trial is a sham because we're not able to get any voices out there. One of the names he dropped there, Ken Starr, he has some history with impeachment trials. He does. This is the man who uh, opened up an investigation, the Whitewater investigation into Bill and Hillary Clinton back in the 90s. It ultimately led to uh, kind of the uncovering of the affair and ultimately led to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. But this was a a man back then who was pushing for impeachment, saying that a president, uh, you know, who lied uh, about an affair while being deposed under oath, uh, you know, broke uh, the rules of the Constitution and abused the power of the office. Now we have him saying that a president who is alleged to have put national security at risk, and according to the Government Accountability Office, uh, went against the rules and violated the law by pressuring a foreign government, didn't do anything wrong, and says that these articles of impeachment are deficient on their face. So it, it's it's a complete 180 from what we saw Ken Starr doing in the 1990s. We're going to be expecting uh, opening arguments, some back and forth, uh, some debate. How many days or how many weeks are being set aside for this? Well, I mean, we don't have an exact timeline yet. We know it's going to start today. We know these opening statements will begin tomorrow and last for 24 hours per side. So we're looking at least through this week just to get through the initial stage of this. If votes are put to allow for or not allow for witnesses or evidence to come in, uh, this could very quickly lead to kind of an end vote and closing arguments within the first week. If we find Republicans start to side with Democrats to allow for witnesses to come forward, then those witnesses are going to have to go through closed-door depositions. Then there will have to be votes to allow this to either or not be released onto the record, which means we could be pushing this now into the beginning of February and butting up against the State of the Union on February 4th. So how does this all end with the Senate? What happens at the end of this whole thing? Well, it'll go to a vote to either evict or not evict the president from office, and you need a supermajority. So you need on the plus side of 64 uh, senators to be able to tell Donald Trump he has to leave the office. It's unlikely that we're going to see that many Republicans bounce over, despite the fact that there is polling out there from a new CNN poll that shows 7 in 10 Americans want to see witnesses, and more than 50% of Americans want to see the president evicted. It likely won't happen. So Democrats are trying to say, if we can get this information brought to the floor, if we are allowed to bring bring this information to the public, they can take that with them when they go to the polls at the end of the year, and they can be the ones to evict the president. They'll say that we did our constitutional duties by doing this impeachment inquiry, leading to the impeachment, and then giving it to the American public to ultimately make that final decision in November. Our guest is Reggie Cicchini, Washington producer and correspondent with Global News. Uh, Are Americans expecting to hear from the president at the hearings? Does he have to testify? Uh, The president likely not going to testify. Uh, The president, you know, we already know he is his best communicator in chief and he's not even in the country right now being uh, kind of at the at the the Davos Forum in Switzerland. Uh, You know, 12 hours ago, President Trump released a uh, Twitter video. It's, you know, just over a minute. And it talks about the best is yet to come. So the president is very aware that he has staunch allies in the Senate that are not going to vote for his uh, dismissal. But we have been talking about or we have been watching the president rather talk about on Twitter uh, people that are involved in the impeachment that are standing with him or calling impeachment a hoax or talking about this, uh, you know, when he was doing a press conference in Davos. So the president doesn't have to be in Washington in order to get his message across. It's just that we have to remember that whatever the president says on Twitter is essential 
essentially what he's trying to tell his defense team and those that are standing with him in the Senate how they need to vote because they stand with him. And with him on the top of the ticket at the end of the year, it also guarantees their security. Uh, Political pundits expecting the Senate to rule in Trump's favor. I guess that's we shouldn't be surprised by this. No, I mean, look, there are people that have been with the president from the beginning. The president is no stranger to scandal. And there have been concerns and questions over his uh, not only ability to govern, but also his his conduct will in the Oval Office. And Republicans, many of them, have lined up behind him to uh, to stand with him and, and to call, you know, Democrats out for going after him from the beginning or simply saying that they don't like the president. So they want to see him impeached. We have to remember here, Republicans essentially are ignoring the underlying facts of what has been presented in this impeachment inquiry. And they're simply trying to make this about people's biased opinions towards the president. So we're not likely going to see Republicans line up to say, Mr. President, you need to leave office now. And I think that's where you're going to see this sharp divide between not only Congress people, but the American public in general continue throughout this year. Could this impeachment trial have an impact on the 2020 election at all? I mean, it could. Uh, it will give potentially a, an opportunity for Democratic candidates running for that, uh, you know, that coveted position at the convention to be the nominee, uh, you know, an opportunity to bring this up and talk about it on the campaign stage. You know, there are a number of people running for president right now who are active jurors now inside the Senate. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Michael Bennett. These are people who aren't on the campaign trail right now, but are hoping that the message gets across on the campaign trail from their staff on the ground that these people are in Washington right now attempting to do what they can to stand up for democracy and to protect the Constitution down the line if another president happens to uh, kind of get caught up in this. And I think that there is an opportunity for uh, Democrats to use this, regardless if the president is evicted or not, as a win on the campaign trail, because this is ultimately going to become a big fight whenever one person is chosen and they're up against President Trump in those debates later this year if he decides to go. Hey, Reggie, I know you got a lot on the go today. Really appreciate the time. Great stuff as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Reggie Cicchini is a Washington producer correspondent with Global News joining us here talking about U.S. President Donald Trump's impeachment trial that is set to unfold later on today. I think the official start time is 1 p.m. Uh, and as you heard, the first few days, the first several days of this trial are going to be uh, tangled in procedural motions. Uh, what can and cannot be said Uh, most of it is going to be behind closed doors. Senators, as we know, just uh, impeaching, or at least the House impeaching uh, the president for only the third time in American history. And it comes just weeks before the first primaries of the 2020 election. So the timing is really interesting. Uh, We know that House Democrats impeached the president last month on two charges. There's abuse of power, by withholding U.S. military aid to Ukraine as he uh, pressed the country to investigate Democratic rival Joe Biden and obstruction of Congress by refusing to cooperate with their investigation. So those are the two charges, abuse of power, obstruction of Congress. The Constitution gives the House the sole power to impeach a president. The Senate as the final verdict by convening as the impeachment court for a trial. So that is what is happening today. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.